Royster, I am your host, Chill Ride, Chill Vibes, as always. Why is it a special pod? Well, every once in a while, I like to reach out across the aisle, so to speak, as if I was a politician, and uh, reaching across and kind of gauging where different teams are and who's covering those teams. With the Sixers tipping off tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks, I couldn't think of a better pair of individuals to bring on today's podcast than the one and only Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr of Brew Hoop Podcast. These gentlemen write podcasts about the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that won the NBA championship last year, the team that many of us are looking up to in the standings, at least not right now, but we'll get into that later. Um, but gentlemen, welcome to the out of sight podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. How are you fellas doing? I'm doing okay. I, I let Kyle speak for himself. This is an honor. Uh, when I got the email from Fox HQ that said, "Do this or you lose your job," I was like, okay, <laughs> what's, like "What's the recording time?" So, uh, besides having the proverbial, uh, you know, threat sort of damocles over top, but we're looking okay over here in uh, Minnesota and the Minnesota branch of the Brew Hoop Podcast. How about you, Kyle? <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, Riley messaged me saying, I need you to help me out or I will get fired from Vox. So I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. Let me put the kids down and I can do my best to help out. But no, otherwise, great to be on. It's good over in Madison, Wisconsin. And, you know, I, things could be better and things could be worse. They did not. The, Vox Media did not <laughs> threaten you with, with dismissal if you didn't do this podcast. Stop it. We're, no, we're right, not that right. we're not that big over Liberty Ballers. Like, uh, yeah, now, now I was going to say the readers and listeners at Liberty Ballers, you, they don't know how much power you guys have at HQ. I mean, it's, it's essentially you guys run the entire site, the whole wet network for us. Look, it, I mean, basically, the between Silver Screen and Roll, Liberty Ballers, and Celtics Blog, it seems like one of those three always seems to dangle something over us. And oh God, we do our best. <laughs> so for for that, we apologize. Then, I, on as much as I can apologize, me being just a staff writer and podcaster, because what you're saying is well above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> and we know Seth is listening, so we know we Seth is listening. <laughs> Seth, how you doing, buddy? I'll, I'll, it'll be nice to see you again once uh you know restrictions and things just like kind of calm down and we're able to do like fun stuff outside but Seth how you doing that's all I have to say about that I don't I don't want to say anything negative to or about Seth so let's just move on from there <laughs> uh the Sixers and Bucks tip off tonight and we're recording this podcast on Monday the 8th and I'm looking at the standings. I don't I don't do standings watching. I it, this early in the season is just pointless. But knowing that I was gonna have you two on the pod, I had to just check. And you know, I, I just assume that Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and the Sixers are at the top of the standings in some order. And I looked, I'm like, wait, the Bucks are four and six and in play in status. So my first question is, what the hell is going on? Uh, I, I think, the, you, yeah. yeah, yeah, the Bucks probably thought they also were going to be at the very top, given the uh, lackadaisical nature of the early season. It's It's been, 
you know, you can point at a whole bunch of different reasons why the main thing is a lot of like what the Sixers are dealing with the spate for you guys is like COVID and everything, but injuries to the main starters, uh, I, we've been talking on our podcast on our site, you know, something like four out of our top nine guys in the rotation have been gone for pretty much the entire season. Uh, Brooke Lopez has had a book uh, back issue. Uh, Chris Middleton picked up a COVID diagnosis last Tuesday, the second. So he's been out. Um, Dante DeVincenzo, who was our starting two guard last season, he injured his ankle against the heat in the playoffs and he's been recovering from surgery for that. Um, and then Drew Holiday, he's had issues with like his heel. Uh, he picks up an ankle injury and the past two games, he's been back in the mix, but he's still kind of, it's pretty obvious that he's a little rusty right now. And so all of these things are coming together at exactly the wrong time, or maybe you could say exactly the right time because it's so early in the season, but the way the roster is constructed is Brooke Lopez being one of the few true seven footers on the roster everything runs through him defensively and the way that Giannis has been able to unlock his game and be as effective as he is. A lot of it does kind of come down to not only his skill, but what Brooke Lopez does cleaning up the defense, allowing him to, you know, essentially be a free safety on rebounding. And then just absorbing contact of like a Joel Embiid or a Jakob Poodle, for example. So the opponents we've had combined with the fact that our starting center has been gone and we don't really have a true like ideal backup center. All those things are coming together at the worst time for the Bucks. Yeah. It's even, you can even include Bobby Portis in that mix mm-hmm. who missed most of the beginning of the season. He just came back last week. And I, I think it's just because of that lack of center depth. We've seen a lot of Giannis quasi playing the five, but otherwise they've been throwing Thanasis at the five. They've had Pat Connaughton play the four and Giannis play at the five. So defensively, that isn't going to work out for Milwaukee. Good Lord. And yeah, it, it's been quite the experimentation. <laughs> and a lot of people were saying going into this year, oh, the Bucks need a center. The Bucks need a center. And I was one of those. I was like, they don't need a center. It would just be nice to have. I don't want to just throw a, you know, a, a roster spot to some dude that's washed. Um, maybe, maybe I'm revaluing that, but... They've also, because of Drew being hurt and Dante being hurt, it's been a lot of George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen kind of had in the lead it. And Justin Robinson, our two-way player, has probably averaged at least 20 minutes a game. And when you're relying on your two-way player to kind of be your basically your backup point guard, the results sometimes aren't going to be pretty. Plus, they've, they've played some tougher opponents, but a lot of the issues could just come down to they haven't, other than the Brooklyn game to open the season they have not had their full starting they're probably at full strength all season i would just like to point out that this is this is my time to gloat about my general manager and him getting andre drummond for basically a ham sandwich you know that's one of those examples where i was like maybe if you can get it for a vet minimum that would have been fine but i also just is like I, I don't know about andre drummond someone's saying they maybe we should look into miles turner it's like I'm not downgrading for Brooke Lopez for Miles Turner just because he's healthy. We got to be yeah. realistic here. And and Miles and, and Miles Turner has like the I I feel like his contract just it, it scares a lot of teams away. Like all that all that's going to do is the Bucks end up with someone like DeAndre Jordan and things go downhill immediately. Oh my god, that, that is my that is my concern with just adding a big for the sake of adding a big. Yeah, be got, honest. Ahead, here's Riley. the thing. Here's the thing about the Andre Drummond acquisition. Be honest, you guys. <laughs> When that first video came out of him and Joel Embiid greeting each other, and Embiid looked like he was disgusted. He looked disgusted in that moment. Did you really think it was going to work out, or is this like a happy surprise that it happened to work out? 
Yes, we, we all thought that was going to work. We all thought that was going to work. <laughs> and we're just, More enjoy- faith than me. we're just enjoying Andre Roman uh, pick and rolls and dribble handoffs. We're just enjoying those so much right now. And probably would not be enjoying it if it was like, for example, an Andre Drummond, Ben Simmons pick and roll, in which case, um, yes, yeah, pretty easy to defend that. Well, well, here's my follow up question to that is the Bucks, <laughs> what you what you guys will notice tonight or when you guys listen to this, when the Bucks and Sixers play is I don't know how it is with Doc Rivers. So you can kind of counter with how, what his philosophy is. But Mike Budenholzer. Um, outside of the playoffs, he's a very hands-off coach. So even though we're going out there with like two out of our five project starters and essentially second and third tier guys playing a tier above where they should be in the pecking order, Mike Budenholzer isn't the kind of coach who goes out there and tries to micromanage possession to possession. He has Giannis out there. He has George Hill, who is back and has been kind of like Bud's uh, go-to guy off the bench. He trusts them to try and figure it out and essentially orchestrate the offense on a possession to possession basis. And that's combining with all these other guys who are either a new to the roster or B just not skilled enough to be able to thrive in a role where they have to make reads um, communicate with the teammate and like know exactly where to go when to help a, a ball handler out if they get into pressure. Um, and, and so that's something you'll probably see tonight. If the Bucks look really sloppy on offense, look how little communication they're doing or how little like they might be setting up a scheme trying to do an action and there's a miscommunication. And Boonholzer is not going to be the kind of guy who like calls a timeout and like, okay, let's write up like the next three or four plays for the next possessions. Um, so th- that's probably another thing that's not helping us is not only is our talent down, but the coaching because the idea is, okay, we'll take our lumps now to learn and be able to do better and later in the season. Uh, that's probably going to be a contributing factor to the bad record. But it, I mean, is Doc Rivers, is he a pretty hands-on like in-game coach or does he kind of just let it rip? He kind of, he he's pretty hands-off just because the rest of the coaching staff is pretty top-notch. But one bugaboo that we have with Doc Rivers, and you'll see this over and over again on various Liberty Ballers post-game analyses, is the absolute the absolute frustration in the all bench lineup. And, oh, hey, something we could relate to. Oh my God. <laughs> last, last year it would be, you know, it would be Dwight Howard and Thibel and Shake Milton and Mike Scott and whoever else. And I'm like, can you just, can you just throw basically Tobias Harris and a bunch of bench guys? I'm like, Really? Like Tobias is an all-star. Don't get me wrong, but Tobias is not carrying a bench unit. Like, I'm sorry. It's got to be Tobias and Ben plus the bench unit. That would have been last year. This year, I feel like the bench is at least a little bit better to where I'm not uh, dry heaving every time I see it because I'll get lineups with Drummond and Niang and Furkan Korkmaz and Maxi and Shake and Thibel. I realized I just rattled off six players in a five player lineup, but still you get where I'm going with this. Like the, yeah. the bench is a lot more balanced this year to where I'm not like having PTSD episodes when I see an all bench lineup. Yeah, we, we cannot, it, it, for us, it's kind of a, okay, we're going to have, we'll pack Connaughton. We'll have Justin Robinson, our two way player. We'll have Jordan Wara, our C ball, shoot ball guy. Maybe we'll throw Thanasis and Evan Kubo out there just for more chaos. And then if Bobby Portis is healthy, 
that's great. If not, we're calling on our other two-way rookie, Sandro Mamakulashvili, who just got out of Seton Hall. And even though he weighs 240 pounds, it's a very lean 240 pounds. So he's just getting beat up in the post. And Budenholzer just sits there and just watches it all happen, just vibing at his best. And I mean, that's just, probably the biggest complaint is he lets that lineup go too long. He lets I, the all bench go like one or two minutes longer than it needs to. It just sounds like y'all need to free semi Ojale a little bit. That's all. Oh, no, God. no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that was a joke. That was totally a joke. Totally kidding. Um, so neither of these teams are at full strength. You talked about Chris Middleton being being hurt. Drew Holiday's nursing a few things. Dante DiVincenzo not back yet. And for the Sixers, Tobias Harris is out for COVID. And now, as we're recording this podcast, Embiid is now out due to COVID? For Christ's sake. Okay. Can we obtain any kind of information from this game when none of these teams are, like, at full strength? Like, is there anything that we can take away from tonight's game? Not really it's tough because i feel especially with Embiid out for you guys it makes it a lot harder to truly gauge what the sixers team is because now this is a sixers team that doesn't have its two best players milwaukee it still has Giannis, which is great and but it's uh, not it's, three best players kyle look i'm just assuming he is no longer on the team i just assume he has <laughs> gone like we are just eliminating ben simmons from this whole equation until okay further. all right that's fine okay but yeah, between those three being out and then with Giannis, the only one for Milwaukee, you, we're missing Brooke, we're, miss, we're missing Chris, Drew Zach. I don't know how much there is to take away completely. I think it's going to be more of a how many of these guys that are likely going to be committing for like competing for rotation minutes when at full strength, you know, right? guys like Jordan Wara, guys like, like how much is Pat Connaughton going to play? It, George Hill, how is he going to factor in when the team is healthy? It's I think it's going to be more of just trying to see which of these guys are going to really get those rotation minutes when this team is fully healthy. I think that's going to be more what we'll get out of this as compared to, okay, we don't know how it's going to go because, again, so many big players and the best players are being out. Last year, prior to the playoffs, I had tweeted that I wanted to see the Sixers in the playoffs so bad because prior to us winning the title, it was necessary that one of our two loser fraud franchises had to determine <laughs> who was the bigger loser and who was the bigger fraud. And unfortunately, we've yet to have that match. This What this game is taking me back to is like six, seven years ago when the Bucks won like 15 games, the Sixers are horrendous. This is just going to be some old style, old fashioned, like fight for the AC type of ball where it's like, yeah. I have no idea who this guy was before tonight and he's playing 25 minutes. So I think Kyle's points about not learning a whole bunch, probably true. It's a shame too, because I think for the Bucks, it would have been critical um, it, on the off chance that we see the Sixers in the playoffs to just figure out what does Giannis as like Joel Embiid's primary defender, what does that look like over the course of not even a whole game, but you know, stretches of like three or four minutes to see, okay, if Brooke isn't able to go for whatever reason, or if he's not effective in stopping Embiid, how does that look when it's Giannis who gets the call? So that's a shame we're not going to see that. But I think, you know, for the Bucks, Cavs right there is going to be like, okay, who's going to be a rotation guys on a night to night basis. What I would just like to see is, what is like our capability? Can we do something competent on either end of the floor? Can we string together five good defensive possessions or five good offensive possessions? Cause like you were saying with the Sixers, you named off six men in that five man lineup. But the point of it is 
the point of it is your guys is like all bench lineups. They're more comfortable. They've been around. They, they know how to work with one another. They have experience in those lineups. We don't have that. And it's a lot more of a mishmash, but you should be able to still competently put together like decent possessions here or there um, for a, at least a couple minutes stretch. So that's something that we can learn is what is even like the capability? What's the floor for this lineup win or lose against the Sixers and under, you know, an undermanned Sixers team. What I'm going to be paying attention to is just the absolute raining of three pointers coming down. Cause we all, we already know that the bucks shoot at a pretty high clip in terms of like attempts. And that's, that's just Budenholzer. But Seth Curry is off to a hot start. Furkan Korkmaz is off to a hot start. Maxie's starting to come along a little bit. Had he been in the lineup, Tobias Harris has looked pretty decent from three. Joel is always a threat. So even without Harris and Embiid in the lineup, just seeing the amount of like three balls going up, because I feel like that it's, it's going to look like a straight up collegiate game in like one of those like mid-tier conferences. Yeah, it very well may. I'm not sure if this is going to be the prettiest basketball because for you guys, it might be competent three-point shooters. We're kind of, you know, we'll talk about Chevy Ojoy a little bit more, but our three-point <laughs> shooting has been a little little hit or miss throughout the season. So if it's like a Chevy versus Seth Curry, uh, it's going to be a late, long Tuesday night for us, I think. I I love that Dante DiVincenzo is on your team and it really sucks that he's like not in the rotation because I'm his huge Villanova stan. Um, but now Grayson Allen is contributing for the Bucks. which what, like really <laughs> great. Another, another Duke player on another NBA team for me to hate. Uh, George Hill is still pretty solid when he plays for Milwaukee, unlike when he plays for the Sixers, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Uh, is there any player or players that has really kind of raised your eyebrows the highest this season, despite, you know, guys being out guys being uh injured nursing stuff like who's really catching your eye early i will stick with grayson allen it is weird because going into the season even before he got his contract extension it was always this belief of okay grayson allen's going to get his chance early to kind of see show the bucks what he can do when dante comes back maybe those two will compete to see who will start and the front office will make a decision on who they're going to want to keep at the end of the year, since both of them were going to head into restrict restricted free agency. And then we get the news that Grayson Allen gets the contract at almost <laughs> two year, 20 million. It's like, oh, OK, well, Dante did it. And it kind of made everyone think. I'm kind of surprised because they figured Dante has been the Bucks' guy. Dante has been the one that Boone has been playing whenever yeah. he gets a chance with healthy. And then you see Grayson Allen come in and. You know, I think especially for Bucks fans of the state of Wisconsin who are still bitter about the 2015 national title game where Duke beats Wisconsin, <laughs> there's a lot of them where they were just angry. And I think what we're seeing from Grayson Allen is this guy is a little bit more polished offensively than Dante, a little bit more, I don't want to say, smarter with the ball because we love Dante. He does a lot of stuff, but there are times where Dante drives to the rim and you don't know what's going to happen, whether he's going to turn the ball over, get a layup, decide to make a bad pass we don't know but sounds familiar yeah Grayson mm-hmm. Allen he we you feel confident that if he's not going to take the three he's going to drive to the hoop he's going to draw contact he's going to try and you know get a layup out of it and I think it's been impressive that a shooting has still been relatively consistent with what he's shown in Memphis and I think because one of the biggest things with the Milwaukee Bucks is they seem to sign a player who was good at shooting threes 
And then that player absolutely is terrible at shooting three and shoots their all-time worst in their career. I think the only exception was Bryn Forbes. Um, otherwise, anyone wow, that comes Bryn in Forbes as a Forbes reference, Jesus. Hey, mm-hmm. Bryn Forbes came in as a shooter. He made his shots, and then he got paid to continue sitting at the veteran San Antonio. I respect <laughs> it. The outscored Jimmy Butler. I will always respect that man. Okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing with Grace Allen is he has been... I think it is one of those where now we're seeing why Milwaukee was so determined to trade for him and also give him that contract. I think he's been relatively fine, and I would I think he's been pretty good. I think compared to everyone else, maybe they, he's just playing to the expectations that we had of him, which is a bonus because for a lot of these players that came in, we had very, very, very low expectations. Mm-hmm. And I'll let Riley go on to his rant about how mm. much Shemi Ojale is not helping. Yeah, yeah. before I get on to Shemi, so just a couple more things to back up what Kyle is saying, especially statistically for Grayson Allen. So this is a guy who he's kind of had an on-again, off-again role in Memphis, a team that was sort of like rebuilding and now is sort of competing. Uh, since he's arrived in Milwaukee, he's taking three more threes a game than he did uh, even last season. So he's getting up eight and a half attempts from three a game, which is pretty high. Uh, and he's also making 40% of them. So if that's going to be somebody whose three-point attempt rate is in like the 70s, 70% wise or so, and he's making that sort of clip, I mean, for your fifth starter, that's pretty good. And it, the way I'm trying to conceptualize him is he's so different from Dante in that Dante doesn't have one overriding offensive skill, but he can, like Kyle says, this is our running joke in like box <laughs> fandom. Dante does like, does like a bunch of stuff, but doesn't do anything like at an elite level necessarily. Whereas Grayson, he seems more like, okay, here's my specific role. And he fills it pretty well, whether or not he'll be able to hold up defensively. Um, compared to especially like a Dante who was pretty good, like chasing guards around on the floor on the perimeter. We'll have to see. But I think your question, the way it was worded was player who raises your eyebrows highest, which is not necessarily always a good thing. So Doesn't have Kyle's to be positive. Right. No, uh, Shemi Oljale's, he might be busted. Uh, you guys might have already known this in Philly land playing the Celtics more often, but he, <laughs> he, he was hurt in perception wise, because when the Bucks let PJ Tucker go, who was like part of like the heart and the soul of the team last year, like two hours later, we signed Shemi. It was like, Oh, okay. He'll be like the PJ Tucker guy. No, I'm not see- not, what well, was the I- thought process there. Yeah, that that's a good question. I believe because I hadn't watched Celtics basketball in a while. So I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe it'll work. But uh, it honestly it, it- was one of those where you ask your mom for McDonald's and say, do you got McDonald's money? Or if you say I'm hungry and they say we have food at home and the food at home is completely lower tier. Wow. That is the uh, Samuel Jolie, PJ Tucker uh, comparison for me. <laughs> it's just the, the main issue is PJ Tucker is a guy who is so self-assured about the way that he fits in with the defense, whether that be a switching defense, whether he's going to be to get the guy who or gets the call to guard like a Kevin Durant. Shemi Oljale is like, very similar in terms of build height, everything like that. The guy is muscle bound as all get out, but he plays like a guard. He plays two or three positions down from his actual size. And I don't know if if part of it is like, he knows this is his last shot of saving his NBA career. I don't know if this is just a mentality thing, but he has been pretty unimpressive defensively and he can't do a thing on offense. He he's made like one, three out of 17 he's taken since he got here. I think he's committed more personal fouls than scored points as a buck. And he's been getting wow. like, okay. Okay. Minutes. Now to be fair to him, he had a hamstring issue uh, to start the season. So he's only played like four or five games, but yeah, it's, it's been rough. If, if that was going to be <laughs> your PJ Tucker replacement, it's it, 
I can't imagine he's going to be on the roster by the time the playoffs come around. That would be, I would be surprised if that was the case. He hit a three last night. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I will say it's not all bad. You're only giving him, you're not even giving him like two mil a season. So it's not like, it's not like a huge bust or anything. It's just, it's just sad that he's taking up a roster spot. Yeah, it is. And I think people, the main issue is people are going to be upset as long as he's here because he is going to be the PJ Tucker antecedent. And the whole idea is Bucks ownership cheaped out on paying PJ however much he wanted. They were like, okay, well, we can get this guy for literally $18 million less. And then it turns out the guy might be busted. I, I think that's going to haunt him so long as he continues to play as poorly as he has here. So you're right that we're not paying a bunch and we can trade him or cut him or whatever. But uh, yeah, not great return so far on Shemi. Listen, if it was up to me and I was the general manager of that team, uh, first of all, God help you. Uh, second of all, like I would just ascend Pat Connaughton into that role because I'm just like, look, for what it's worth, uh, Pat Connaughton scares the absolute bejesus out of me when I see him on the floor. Like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen with that guy, but I know he's going to energize the Bucks in some way. And when it happens, it pisses me off every time. The thing with Pat Connaughton is his redemption arc the past. It's amazing. Months. It's it's like a storybook. He's had a storybook. Redemption for arc. Yeah, <laughs> it's been crazy. Like he was the guy that Bucks Twitter probably hated more than anything because it was like what he did. It was very good for a guy that would be maybe your ninth or tenth option. But Bud was playing him like he was his sixth man. And but it was okay and excusable because he was getting paid of that minimum salary. So it was fine. It didn't cost you a lot. This was a low risk, high reward. And then he got his contract and everyone lost their mind and got upset. And then he became Bucks winner most hated. And then the playoffs came around and he was the one of the only few guys that was able to hit a three in that championship run. And now he's continued doing that. So he's it is something miraculous that Pat Connaughton has gone from most hated player on for Bucks Twitter to the Bucks probably don't win a title without Pat Connaughton's contribution. It, it's been quite remarkable. And I we relate a little bit to that because when the Sixers made the decision to let Jimmy Butler go to Miami and just pay Tobias Harris uh, 180 over four, uh, there was like real vitriol over that contract. And to this day, there's still a little bit of like small little pieces of vitriol. But then he had that one really decent playoff run and pretty much things were like forgiven a little bit, but it was really important for him to come out and have a half decent start this season because every year since the contract, it's like, okay, uh, what are we getting out of Tobias this time? Like, why, why are we paying this guy damn near 30 mil a season? Like, we got to see it right away. Like right now, now let's see it. Come on. Like, slow down, okay? Just relax. It's not Tobias's team. It's Joel's team. Anything we get from Tobias Harris is gravy. Like, settle down, fellas. Yeah, we've had similar experiences with Chris Middleton. He's like the the polarizing guy on our team, or at least everybody's championship. Chris Middleton is worth the money. Well, that's so. I mean, depends on who you ask in Bucks Twitter nowadays. <laughs> the the anti Chris contingent is a lot quieter. But there was prior to him getting that max contract, or essentially max contract. I mean, it was. It was brutal out there. I mean, it was some of the the worst like back and forth I've ever seen from within the fan base. It was it was not good in the lead up to that. 
Chris Middleton, Tobias Harris, two NBA players whose contracts I will defend to my death. I will take that to the grave. I don't care. Yeah. I think a yeah. lot of people now will gladly defend Chris Middleton's contract, but oh man, that was going into the, last year was one of those where uh, I think after the it was after Miami Heat series where everyone was starting to at the least accept it and start being appreciative of it. But for example, after the Toronto series, oh no. Oh no, that was not that was not going down well. That was not the business. <laughs> okay, now we we mentioned him before, and I'm just going to bring him up now. Uh, John Lowe in his extended forecast for upcoming games called Ben Simmons a C class superstar. I mean, I can't really say I disagree anymore. Uh, but now the Sixers are playing with like some lineups a little bit, even more due to Tobias's COVID protocol. And a lot of early buzz is on Tyrese Maxey. I don't know what you've seen from the kid in 10 games, but when you have somebody like Simmons, you know what he's capable of and what he's not capable of. And there has been numerous, 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 almost endless reports of what he can't do. And then you get Maxey, who's a different kind of player where he's like at least willing to take long distance shots. At full strength, and I'm just this is just uh, this is hypothetical. How does that change how the Bucks would play the Sixers defensively? I think it's, it's like it's, oh, go ahead, go, sorry, no, you can go, you can go. Okay, I was gonna say I think it's a little interesting because with Maxi, he has the speed and athleticism that the you know having Drew Holiday on him could be something that would at the very least prevent him from getting into a rhythm. But you, it would probably have to be someone like Dante that has the quickness and ability and the ability to get around screens to keep up with them. I think that's one of the things that really, I mean, I haven't watched much Sixers game. I tried looking at to see what Maxi has done to the season, but it just makes me feel like he is someone that's more aggressive, more willing yes. to take on that load. And that is something that Milwaukee probably wouldn't prepare for. And he's someone that can shoot both shoot and take it to the rim. You know, if they were to go, say, Seth Curry, you know, Seth Curry's going to shoot. You know, you need to make sure he doesn't get any open space to shoot with Maxi. It's like he can take the pump. Take, he can dri- he can drive it on you. So there is at least something where he brings a little bit more to the Sixers offensively than what you would expect out of Ben Simmons or even Seth Curry. Defensively, there's still a little bit of more question question marks. And obviously, he's not as good of a defender as Ben Simmons. So there is that side of it. But I think in terms of how Milwaukee would plan for him defensively, I think it's just more of a he is going to be someone that you just have to make sure, you know, I don't want like this is where the Pat Connaughton flying by for pump fakes would burn Milwaukee. Um, (laughs) I think that would be something that, you know, maybe if he gets hot, that's where Bud would throw Drew Holiday on him just because it's like, okay, I need to I need you to slow this guy down. I wonder, so I haven't watched a lot of Sixers basketball either, and I, my maxi has not been on my radar necessarily. This is another game or another reason why having full strength teams would be great. Yes, the Ben Simmons, how that's going to get res- resolved, who you guys might bring in in lieu of him, it, that might change things as well. But for what I'm just looking at from Maxi's statistical profile, I mean, it, it he does take some threes, but his three-point attempt rate, I mean, that it makes up like 20% of his shot attempts. And it seems like a lot of the rest is either at the rim or sort of like, you know, sort of in the paint or mid-range-ish. Right. And and the Bucks defense is like 
designed to give that shot to guys. Now we've lived and died on that in the past. Like a Kemba Walker, when he was really on top of things and like on top of his craft, he would kill us for like 30, 30, 40 points just because he is so masterful of navigating our pick and roll and then zone drop coverage. But some guys, they struggle with it because... Are you talking about Charlotte Kemba Walker? Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Charlotte Kemba Walker tortures the Bucks. Boston (laughs) Kemba Walker, not worried. (laughs) And and, and Nick's Kemba Walker is just not on the radar. Basically, no, Derrick Rose does that there? enough. I don't. Okay. Need, I don't need another one. <laughs> yeah, but but I, but I think for the Bucks, they wouldn't probably change their scheme all that much. They would see if this guy, if let's say it's like a cup, whatever, a seven game series, they would see in the first two games. Okay, can this guy consistently beat us on this coverage? But they would probably be comfortable knowing that they survived like a Chris Paul situation last year or a Devin Booker where it's like, okay, a lot of driving. Yes. They're a three point threat, but so much of it was just like, okay, if these guys want to get garbage, like mid range jumpers up uh, in our defense, fine. We'll let it happen. So I'm not sure if he's had such a jump or is such a different kind of threat that it would necessarily knock the bucks off. Now that doesn't mean he couldn't get really hot and just make everything. I mean, that's absolutely possible, but it, it probably wouldn't be enough to necessarily change our base scheme if i was to guess yeah because i mean he is still a young player he is still someone that is going to show like the flashes are there the signs are there that he is starting to get up to speed for someone that is still relatively new to the league so you know there is yeah, he literally still... just got the ability to drink legally in the united states last week Right. So like there's going to be games where like there will be a game where he probably does torch the Bucks defense and just can't miss and is just causing a fit. There's also going to be games where he is unable to do anything effective. And that's what you expect from a player that young. So I think, though, you're we're seeing more and more of what he can do. And I think these minutes now early for him is only going to help him come playoff time, because I think that is going to be someone that likely will get thrown into the mix, because I'm wondering is this going to be at the expense of Shake Milton or is this going to kind of complement with Shake? Like, I guess, where does Shake Milton factor in? If me personally, I always like the idea of Maxi being in the starting lineup because of what he can do. Like, he's more than just a driver and like mid range finisher and stuff like that. I feel like he's much more aggressive than Shake ever was. And I, I feel like that little wrinkle. It's just something that you don't always see from the Sixers, like somebody that's just not afraid to drive the lane from the perimeter. Like, that's just something that hasn't been here since, I guess, the Jimmy Butler days. Yeah. What's his chemistry with Joel look like? So is that is that like a key? Those guys, those two playing off each other, is that a key part of the Sixers offense? Or is that just kind of they find each other within the flow of the offense? What does that look like for them? I feel like it's more of a flow of the offense kind of a thing, because I feel like Mm -hmm. the chemistry between Joel Embiid and Seth Curry is a lot better because of the outstanding dribble handoff potential. Because, listen, you can get Embiid and Curry in a dribble handoff and okay so you slack off on curry okay here's a three ball uh you want to try to hedge the screen okay well joel Embiid is going to have a nice little lane to the basket like they do so much with that Embiid curry two-man game it's it's ridiculous and yeah the way curry's shooting uh that's probably going to be like a focal point for a lot of defenses going forward like they have to stop that first yeah, it's just curious with the Sixers, just because you guys are in stasis right now trying to figure out the Ben Simmons situation where it's like, okay, who is going to be whoever we trade him for? And then how does that fit in? Um, it, it, that's what makes 
them interesting that they're having this early success. It's like, okay, well then where do they go from there once they add somebody else or however that trade works out? It's, it's going to scare the hell out of the entire league <laughs> until the trade actually happens. Cause they'll just be thinking, Oh my God, who the hell are they going to be bringing in for this guy? Um, so let's take a little breather real quick, reset ourselves. And yeah, let's take the landscape of the Eastern conference. So Liberty Ballers Out of Sight Podcast. I'm here with the gentleman from Bruhu, Riley Feldman, Kyle Carr. Be back in a little bit, and we will get into the depths of the Eastern Conference. Back in a second. All right, so we preview tonight's game, and we're sort of lukewarm in excitement because it's just not full strength, and that's really sad because I would, I would like to see Embiid versus Giannis one more time. And just going back to Riley's point about wanting to see the Sixers in the playoffs, I wanted to see the Bucks so effing bad in the playoffs. And the Atlanta Hawks ruined it for all of us. Curse yeah, yeah. you, Trey Young. I was going to say, we, the Bucks went through hell to get to that point. And damn it, this is just like, it, it kind of reminds me of 2019. Where it was like, okay, we got our matchup. We're going to get it. And then for some reason, something ridiculous happens, whether it's Kawhi's shot, whether it's Ben Simmons passing up that dunk. I don't know what it is, but this is the second the second time in three years where it's like it seems like this is going to be the crash course and it just hasn't happened. I, where I'm not counting the bubble because that was more or less fraudulent. in my Yeah, opinion. that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That, that Miami <laughs> I, Heat championship is fraudulent. That, I, the, I don't the Lakers I championship. I'm sorry. I, I'm not sure if I agree with you, Kyle. I was pretty happy with how things turned out ultimately for us. How dare you? Oh, I mean, 2021 is great. How 2019, dare we're not talking about 2019. That, that suck. Uh. I hate you both. Don't get wrong. At this point, I would still love, we already went through the fire with the Nets, which was, I mean, my God, my heart could not handle much more of that. It went, pushed us all to the edge. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I still would enjoy a uh, six or seven game series. It would still be like the loser fraud franchise leaves town. So I, I would look forward to that series regardless. Okay, when we look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference after nine or ten games, or eleven if you're the Cavaliers, um, so, some interesting uh, happenings here in the East after a short period. So I figured, you know what? It may be way early, but eff it. I'll, let's just play way too early, believer, not believer, in terms of this team could win the East. Okay, we're talking about win the East, like not Eastern Conference Finals win the damn conference uh let's start with miami no the the two seed right now seven and two i'll be honest at the beginning of the season i did not believe in what miami had put together with jimmy and kyle lowry and bam Adebayo. but tyler harrow has reverted back to bubble tyler harrow and that kind of scares the hell out of me so i right now i i kind of believe in this heat squad what do you guys think I don't, Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. Kyle, you can do it. I mentally cannot because all I think about is they really Bam Adebayo completely fell apart in the series against the Bucks this past year. That's this is true. a team. Kyle Lowry adding Kyle Lowry helps. It's an improvement over Goran Dragic. <laughs> I still am not there yet in thinking Miami could beat Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or Philly in a seven game series. I'm not there yet with them. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. We put him in hell last year. I mean, Jimmy <laughs> Butler, 
I, I respect what uh, he did for the Sixers, and I respect the like what he did against us in the bubble. He looked awful against us, and literally the only change was like Giannis, can you guard him? You know, I was like, okay. And then <laughs> we like shut down the Duncan Robinson dribble handoff three, and that was that was oh man the Heat. So it was it was uh, yes, Kyle Lowry, uh, he's still a threat. Uh, Tyler Harrow, I, I have no idea if he'll shoot well or not, but I was thoroughly unimpressed by what G- what jimmy did and if they're gonna pay him like 75 million dollars a year to get shut down by Giannis in four games uh you know early season success i i congratulate them but no I, i'm not a believer in them necessarily look I'm- mr nichols can't get outscored by Bryn forbes in a playoff <laughs> series <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's the second Bryn forbes reference on this podcast jesus i'm never letting that go i'm never letting that go it is too funny not to uh, we, we both, we all kind of agree that Brooklyn is right there, right? Kyrie yes. Irving aside, yeah. doesn't matter. Um, we hate, we honestly, hate with Patty Harden, Mills. They... <laughs> Patty yeah. Mills looks really good. I was not expecting that out of Patty Mills, which really makes me think to myself, okay, uh, they don't really need Kyrie right now. I mean, it's beneficial, but if they get Kyrie for the playoffs, I mean, this would, you know, he would have to get vaccinated for something like that. But yeah, Patty putting in rotation minutes like he is right now and adding him to a playoff roster. Jesus, I'm, I'm frightened of that now. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that was Thank Patty you, Mills was Sean always Marks. a guy that ah. Riley and I wanted. We both want we've always wanted Patty Mills for the last couple of years. So the fact that he went to Brooklyn, it was like, oh crap. Patty Mills has been an honorary sixer for like five seasons. <laughs> it's ridiculous how much we wanted that guy, and he always eludes us. It's insane. Um, we thought we thought we were gonna get the Greg Popovich like hookup because Bud is one of like part of his coaching tree. It was like, oh yeah, yeah. Pop is gonna give him to us. But and then of course he just held on to another year. I was like, damn it. So now but yes, it is a downer. He's in Brooklyn now. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch this up a little bit because. The, the rest of these teams, there's no effing way they're winning the East. But, like, let's, let's just try to gauge what their ceiling might be. Um, the Washington Wizards, 7-3, and three, no. they're in the four seed. <laughs> no, they are not going to win the Eastern Conference. But, uh, oh, don't, God. Don't they, seem, don't they seem a little undersized to you, potentially? Like, it's a, a little roster. Roster, I mean, everybody on the team is six foot five. Literally everybody. And, like, they're one seven-footer. Luke Garza, I think he he's deep bench sort of material. Now, it's not to say that they're not going to be able to succeed with that, but I would just be curious against you know any team who's able to exploit that. The Bucks struggled with it on Sunday night, but we're down like a ton of dudes, so I'm gonna give us an excuse. I would be worried if I were them about what they're able to do with like a billion wings on their team. I mean, I'm just Jackson is frisky. Yeah, that's true. Now you're right. I, I just look at the team and it's like there's a bunch of dudes that are gonna think it's their time to shine. Yes. <laughs> they got Kyle Kuzma, they got KCP, they got Spencer Dinwiddie, they got Bradley Beal. That's way too many dudes that think it's their time to shine. And it's probably, and other than Bradley Beal, it's likely not your time to shine and we'll no. take the shots away. <laughs> like, that is my concern with Washington. Uh, the, the Chicago Bulls, again, not winning the East, but uh, frisky first round upset potential. Yeah, no, I can't get there either. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, they they look good, but the way they lost to the Sixers both those games, and then like the second night when they didn't have Tobias, um, 
yeah, I, I'm not I'm not buying this Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic. Like Vucevic is like the lost guy on that team. And it makes no sense because of how talented Vucevic is from a big man perspective. The thing with Chicago is they have no bench. I there's no one <laughs> they have I, negative not, bench. I am not a Caruso guy. I've never been a Caruso guy, and he's probably their best player to come off the bench. I, I'm not sold on it. <laughs> like that is what's going to be their downfall is when you take out some of their starters. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their, like their minute allocation right now, I mean, dudes are logging like 35, 36 minutes a night and it's pretty early season. Like that's not like crazy high, but the drop off from like the top six to the next dude is pretty significant. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I agree with Kyle's uh, thoughts on that. Uh, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers who have been kind of a joke for the last, I don't know, half, decade or more uh they're they're seven and four which was another eyebrows razor i was like wait really the the calves the calves are in the top eight right now um they're nice young squad i they're they're fun to watch i i watch them all the time on league pass uh they're 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 nice and frisky to an extent but uh Colin Sexton just tore his meniscus. So mm-hmm. yeah, that 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 might just be over and done with. Yeah. And I'm just I'm in it for Evan Mobley at this point, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like, and where Kyle and where Kevin Love gets traded. Yeah, they're they're a fun team because they're like they're that young team that's starting to sort of put it together. So they'll probably be like playing game or back end of it, which will probably result in them getting swept in the first round, but Still, I remember the Bucks when they were in that phase. Like, okay, we're not like a middling team. We're sort of building back up into something. It's it's a fun place to be, even if ultimately you're not going to be a competitive like challenger for the East. The, the if they had a healthy Colin Sexton, I think they that they probably would be that seven eight or play in. But I fear that with that injury, it is going to hurt them, and they'll probably they'll they start. And I feel like they started off hot last year, and then they kind of fell by the wayside. So I think that's yeah. going to happen again. The Knicks, who the Sixers are playing right now at the time of uh, recording this podcast. Uh, The Knicks are everybody's darling because the NBA is always more fun when, you know, the Knicks are good. And I kind of agree with that. Nice to see Spike Lee uh, dressed in his Sunday finest. I think I think the Knicks with the right bracket, I think they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know if they would win it because much like the Wizards. They're a little undersized. I like Mitchell Robinson. I like Nerlens Noel, but those guys are still getting split in half by the Giannis's and the Joel Embiid's of the conference. Yeah, the yeah the Knicks are definitely a. I wouldn't be surprised if they were a four or five, and maybe could get to an Eastern Conference Final. I wouldn't bet on it, but I could definitely see them taking a team to seven. But I, I don't know. I feel like this is the same team we saw last year, and it is kind of clear that you just need a guard that can do enough to manipulate their defense. Cause they have Trey not cause Trey young just completely manipulated the next to yeah. oblivion. And now they, and they have Kevin Walker they have Evan Fournier and they have Derek Rose and Alex Burks. Those aren't really guys that are going to be able to slow down the opposing team's point guard. So, you know, is that going to work against Patty for Mills? Evan Fournier, by the way? Oh, yeah, they did. So, like, is that going to work against a Kyrie or Patty Mills? No. Is that going to work against a Drew Holiday? No. Is that going to work against a Seth Curry? No. Like, there's even a Kyle Lauer. Like, it's not going to work against the better point guards in the league. 
I'm personally scared of them just because I don't think Derrick Rose has ever had a bad game against us. He, I think he honestly, his, his career averages against the Bucks have to be in like the 40 to 50 point range with like perfect shooting splits. So I would be scared personally, but uh, I agree with a lot of what Kyle said that, that long-term, like in, in the picture of the entire East, I'm not sure if I agree or you know, that they're going to be like the ones that end up going to the finals. Derek Rose terrorizes the Bucks in the same way that Marcus Smart terrorizes the Sixers. Because I swear <laughs> to God, I swear to God, he's only good against the Sixers and no other team in the damn league. Um, it is one of those where it's like he's you look at the stat sheet and it's like, oh yeah, there's 30 points and 12 assists and shot 20 of 22 from the floor and had 18 free throws. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> this doesn't add up. Uh, Toronto, mm, no, they're they're, they're just gonna. <laughs> They're going to fall out in one of these other teams like the Bucks, the Hawks, the Celtics. Like they're they're going to take that spot. They're the definition of a, of a squad full of eyed dudes. Like yeah. literally everybody on the squad is eyed. I think maybe OG and Anobi is like the, the best guy, most promising guy on the squad that I can see here. Oh, okay. Real quick. Did any did any of you see this like leap from OG coming? Because I did not. Yes to no, because it was clear from his rookie year that he could be pretty good. Like it was like we saw something that was like, okay, this guy can be something. He could be a great, you know, fourth or fifth guy on a championship team. Like there was signs. And then he just fell off. Something happened. I don't know. And now it seems like he's getting back to that level, which good for him. But no, I can't say I completely saw it like this. I figured he would at least be a serviceable NBA player, but I didn't think he'd be this good. This so far this season, the Charlotte Hornets. I feel like they need to make a move for me to take them seriously. What that move is, I don't know. They need a center. I think they need a better center. I, I th- yeah, I, I think if the Hornets called the Cavaliers for Kevin Love, that might uh, make me bat an eye or two. But outside of that, I don't think the Hornets. I, they they don't have the horses. If they just don't, they're, they're I just be- can't trust a team that has a Plumley starting. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> and not just a Plumley starting. This is like year 12. This feels like year 12 of Mason Plumley being their starting center. It feels, I mean, he's he still starting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. He started, he started their last game. Oh my God. They, they are, they are statistically the worst defense in the league by like a pretty wide margin. So, uh, you know, as much as the fun is like getting in a shootout is against other teams, that is not necessarily a sustainable way to win. If, you got literally the worst defense in the league. Charlotte is a great league pass team option, but no, I, I think they, they are going to be that play at game level as well, unless they upgrade at center. Uh, we, I'm pretty, listen, I'm pretty sure Milwaukee is going to bounce back. They'll be fine. So let's, we don't need to discuss that. Uh, the Hawks are at 11 and this is where I toot my own horn a little bit at the start of the season. I said that the Hawks were a year away from that big standings leap. And I feel like I'm a little bit vindicated, mostly because of the rule changes and Trey Young having to maneuver around that. I just I just don't know if the Hawks are ready for that like real leap. I'm not saying last week, last year was, you know, fraudulent. Like they beat the Sixers seven games straight up. Fine. But I just didn't see them repeating that kind of performance. Who did, who did they add? Did they add literally anybody? I'm looking at the roster. This looks like the exact same roster. Gorgie Gorg- 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 Dang. I was going to say. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> they, 
The only person they added technically is DeAndre Hunter because he was hurt. If that oh, if that yeah. if that counts. Yeah. yeah, not really. I I don't count it, but just because he he was with the team, they are what they were a team that looked at it and said, all we need to do is just internally get better. Yeah, you know, Trey Young gets better. Hunter gets healthy and gets better. Uh, Radish gets better. John Collins continues improving. Like I think they thought we can just internally get better, and it'll be fine. But I also think teams are now going to take them seriously, like them beating the Sixers in that series and. Taking game one from Milwaukee was yeah. a, oh, no, we have to take them seriously now. Like, they're not going to be the scrappy little team that you think is going to be around 500. Like, oh, we need to treat them like they are a threat to us. Right. And I think that's where I think that's where the biggest change is, is now people are taking them seriously. So they're going to approach it seriously instead of, yeah, it's just the Hawks. We can probably get away. With, we can rust our starters and <laughs> at the very least if we lose whatever, but we likely could still win. Kyle's so right about that. They, to me, they feel a lot like the Bucks when we got the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019. It was like, okay, it, yes, like we were on top of the East at that point, but it was like, oh, okay, this is like a for real team. And then the year after that, we were like, what if we just kind of like got better internally and didn't really shake, rock the boat all that much? And then we got right. smacked against the Heat. So I could see that being very similar where it's like, yes, you want to believe in your own guys. Um, but sometimes you need a little bit of a shakeup, whether it be like a different guy who brings in a different culture thing, even because the talent might be there, but it might, you might be you know kind of stuck in the mud a little bit if you keep rotating the tires with the same guys over and over again. But for us, it'll always be personal. Bogdan Bogdanovich, I know you're listening. We're not <laughs> letting you get away. We're not letting you get away with what you did to us last year. We still remember that for the length of your contracts. I hope they do miss the playoffs simply so he can continue to suffer. The one thing I had about the Hawks, like going into the season, was like, okay, you have a lot of good wings when it comes to Bogdanovich and Hunter and Cam Reddish is looking pretty decent, and they have Kevin Herter, but they don't have like that elite wing. And I felt like that was the piece they were kind of missing. And I don't really feel like they addressed it. It's and it was kind of tough because I feel like there wasn't that many elite wings that were right. readily available. So unless they traded one of their guys, and maybe they'll still do that come the trade deadline. Maybe that is where the Bogdan or even Cam Reddish. Like I could see a trade. I could see them trying to make a trade to make it work. If there's a team that does significantly worse, you know, maybe say Boston or some team out west. In I don't know. I'm trying to. I think of a team out West, that would be an example, but you know, something like that, where it's, they want, they know it's over. They're going to try and rebuild. And that's where the Hawks can come in and try and get someone. I mean, they already, they already traded for Bogdanovich. Might, might as well just go for buddy at that point. Are you guys saying that Danilo Gallinari is not a small ball wing? Come on. That, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly <laughs> okay. What right. saying. Precisely what I'm saying. <laughs> with it, with trades being a hot discussion, in Sixers land from a certain C-class superstar. Uh, let me just ask this, and we'll close it out with this. Okay, we're 10 games in. Chicago's doing well, thank God, because I want no part of Zach Levine. Uh, Washington is doing well, which probably means that Brad Beal is off the market for right now anyway. Uh, what player not named Dame Lillard? Because if the Sixers trade for Dame Lillard, it's basically over for everybody. Uh, what player could the Sixers trade for that would scare the bejesus out of you as an opposing fan base? Hmm. I will say that the Celtics 
are sniffing around for Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown is on the table. If that is even remotely possible, I will turn into the flash and I will run that trade to the damn league offices myself. While we contemplate this, can, can you clarify, are Sixers fans serious about potentially getting Dame Lillard? Or is that like a hype machine from inside the like fan base? Cause that seems, I mean, that would be, that would be the craziest. I would, you would have to just contract the Blazers at that point. That would be highway robbery to like a disgusting degree. A little, little, little bit of both perhaps. I mean, I have, <laughs> I'm on, I'm on my personal crusade for the last like six, seven years to make Clay Thompson a part of the Sixers uh, roster. <laughs> But I, that's that's not happening. They they love Clay way too much to do that to him. But uh, yeah, they they flirted with. They've been they've been flirting with Dame Lillard for a while now. And just they <laughs> the Sixers were in. They were playing Portland. Dame came to town, and there was just so much love from the fan base for Dame Lillard trying to get him to come here. I was like, okay, this is this has got to stop. Just stop. Hey, I feel like the Bucks fans were the same way before they got Drew. It was kind of like, okay, let's try and trade, let trade Chris Middleton for Dame Lillard. Like, come on, do it, Milwaukee. <laughs> it is the same thing. But I do have a player I thought of. I don't think it's probably not realistic, but someone like Mike Conley would be someone that would. Oh, that would concern me because he is he's still very good. He can still shoot. He is a great floor general. He's still got enough defensively he would be someone where it would just make the rest of the team better because that's what i was trying to think of like which point guard could you come in that's swap for, and make the rest of the team better and i think mike conley would relatively fit that bill just because he could still shoot he'd still take it himself but he can also set up his own teammates we were flirting with malcolm brogdon for a while too I mean, he's always hurt, so I would not, I would not, I would stop well, yeah. with that idea. <laughs> just, just you're, you're just swiping left on that one. I, I am probably, I am in the Malcolm Brock. The Bucks made the right decision to not bring in Malcolm Brock to back <laughs> camp. I am in that camp because I said paying twenty something million for a guy that is always hurt is not. That's not what Milwaukee needed. And I, I think now I've been justified in that, but that was a big talking point after 2019 as well. Is letting Brogdon walk, owners looking cheap, blah 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 blah. And I, I, he's just like he's good, but he's not like 25, 25 to 30 million good. And to 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 my credit, I, I held on to this. <laughs> I held this hill for the longest time, much to the chagrin of my colleagues at Liberty Ballers. But I I was really trying to help people talk themselves into D'Angelo Russell. And I was, I was gonna just say yeah. I was just getting I was just getting flamed <laughs> mercilessly on Slack and Twitter as a result. But uh, whatever. It's fine. That's that I- it makes sense in theory, but <laughs> when it actually happens, it's not going to work. Like it makes sense. It you can see the dots. I can see how it could work. <laughs> But then it won't actually work <laughs> because D'Angelo is just going to be too much. Oh, it's my time now. For yes, that exactly. Quarter. Like, no, no, we can't have that. Um, Riley, did you have a name or names? The other, the only, the last name was CJ McCollum. But uh, outside of that, just that's pretty much it. 
it's so hard because Ben Simmons value is like taking such a beating over not only from the playoffs last year, but like how this whole situation played out where, uh, you know, maybe there's even a possibility he's still on the squad post deadline. <laughs> like who knows how it's going to work out. I, I struggle with like a name. I, I think it's a sort of situation where even if it is like a CJ McCollum or a D'Angelo Russell guy, like, yes, it, DJ or D'Angelo would probably suffer from it's my time a little too much, but like it's having somebody who's a stylistic difference from what Ben Simmons does because Ben Simmons is, he does have elite skills in certain respects, but just even moving off of that because his skill set constrains what the Sixers do because you have to be able to accommodate what he does. And so even if it's a D'Angelo Russell, and then you guys end up getting like more assets in the exchange for it as well, maybe that would scare me a little bit more. I think it bringing in anybody who is a warm body instead of having that much money sitting on a dude who's just sitting out uh, would probably make the Sixers better. But I'm struggling to like pick a name who sounds sort of realistic to be like, that guy would put the fear of God in me. Because unless it's like a Dame Lillard type, I, you know, we're just going to have to see how it ends up working out depending on who you guys bring in. This is the trade that I'm like, this is my favorite trade and it is Portland, but it's Simmons to Portland for CJ McCollum and uh, Bob Covington. I would love that trade. Yeah, that, that would be that, good. That, that trade is my favorite of all the fake Simmons trades out there. Yeah, I mean, that might be the key is like, everybody's going to be thinking of how can you swap one for one? It might be whoever like a second or a third guy that gets tossed in for salary matching or however the trade works out. That might be something that's like, okay, maybe the top line guy in the trade who isn't Simmons isn't like, uh, wows you necessarily yeah. but it's that other guy who's like okay well now we have another pretty useful player we can throw in the rotation that's probably what would be something that like you know think of other trades in the past couple of years that have really propelled teams like a Marcus Gasol he was just like a guy who Toronto acquired you think of like for us for PJ Tucker he it's these like secondary tertiary guys who end up really biting when it matters most so that's who I would keep an eye on is who you acquire in that sort of trade This has been an extremely spirited discussion. I want to thank both of you for taking the time out to speak to, I I guess, one of your, not necessarily a rival, but like a team you really want to see in the playoffs. And God damn it, no one spoiled this this year. It's our time this year. Stop it. The, The heat can go away. Brooklyn you got your own headaches to worry about. Just just let us do our thing over here, okay? Just let us have our fun, and, like, that's it. Like, I think that's a big thing, because, like, Milwaukee, we went through Miami. We dealt with Boston years back. We went through Brooklyn. It's, like, we have – it's, like, it's now the Sixers. Like, that's the only team left. I'm not counting Toronto because – Sure, yeah, Kawhi, congrats, but now <laughs> yeah. you're, you're back to irrelevant. It needs – we the Sixers is, like, the last team out of the – okay, we need to beat them in a playoff series kind of thing. Everyone, we've taken care of everyone else. This is the last one. So <laughs> let's let that happen. National media is still talking about the Sixers, so we need to, we need to vanquish <laughs> these guys. I, I, need, just, I just need it. I just need it for – I mean, the content would be hilarious. I, absolutely I hilarious. <laughs> It, it uh, goes it goes back to like both of our teams were going through it. I mean, going really through it at like roughly the same time. There was like the squad that was like, oh, the trust the process part of like NBA fandom. There was the, oh, you can kind of be competitive, but lose, but like draft well enough, the buck, buck sort of way. So it's like everything's lining up plus historic rivalry, like all sorts of different things. I think it would be awesome to see these two teams face each other.
And it would be a callback to one of the greatest Eastern Conference Finals matchups of all time. And mm-hmm. this would this would go into a book that I would write because I'm still trying to figure out with prime Ray Allen and Glenn Robinson, how in the hell did the Sixers beat the Bucks with Allen Iverson and a bunch of dudes? How uh, the hell did that happen? I <laughs> am still calling conspiracy on the rest of <laughs> that shit, and I will yeah. never die on that. I am can, can can we resurrect David Stern from the dead to ask him what happened? No, there? I, think, I think he might. I think he might know what happened there. I he need Tim Donahue to hurry up and just reveal that okay. right now. He's already right. spilling his beef about everything else. I need that to be confirmed. The, the problem with resurrecting David Stern is that you probably have to deal with the whole Donald Sterling thing and how he would handle the Sarver thing. <laughs> so let's just let Adam Silver just be the commissioner of this go around. Well, okay? David Stern right. doesn't have to come back and be commissioner. We just need him alive for five minutes to ask him that question. And <laughs> he fight back uh, Riley Feldman, Kyle Carr, Brew Hoop podcast. You can listen. Uh, go to brewhoop.com for everything bucks if you want to figure out how Bucks fan base, how they're thinking about their team and how they're looking at other teams like, you know, our Sixers. Gentlemen, it was an honor and a great privilege to have you guys on. Hopefully we can do this again, perhaps before an Eastern Conference playoff series. That would be amazing. Uh, and yeah, if you're if you're ever in Philly, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Royster. Cheese steaks on me, fellas. Perfect. Sounds perfect. good. Thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, always, this was good. This was good. <laughs> always a pleasure and hope to speak to you guys again soon. <laughs>